Coming up on the podcast, Stephen King at the movies, books into films, which are films that are books and uh, mixed results is basically what we're saying. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Oh, hey there, listener, and welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. This is Chris. This week, along with Eric and Brian, the rest of the Magnificently Huge team, we're going to dive headfirst into the film world of Stephen King. That is, all of the adaptations that we've gotten over the last 45-some-odd years. Uh, And there's a lot of them, because the man's written, like, 175 billion books and stories and such. So there's a lot of material out there. And uh, we're going to look into the good, the bad, and the ugly, like the movies that really, really hit, the ones that sort of are misses, and then the ones that are just downright uh, WTF. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm sure you've got your picks because everybody knows Stephen King. I don't care who you are, uh, whether you're a fan, a non-fan. This show is all for you because uh, we cover a lot of ground, sorta. But uh, basically, it's all about Stephen King, and that's all you need to know. So, hope you enjoy. If you do, send us an email. MagnificentlyHugeGmail.com. We're always happy to receive them. Notes, feedback, jokes, recipes, what have you. Uh, you can also head over to Twitter. We're at MagHuge. We're on Facebook and Instagram, Magnus Huge Podcast. So, you know, share the pages, like the stuff, favorite them, whatever. Enjoy the ride. And then you can also head over to our website, MagHuge.com, where we've got all the links and sundry for you to enjoy as well. So, without further ado, we're going to dive right into one of our annual Halloween episodes. We figured Stephen King, Master of Horror, right? What could go wrong? Well, you're going to find out because uh, we're terrible at this and uh, our opinions are also equally terrible. That's all I'm going to say on that. Enjoy. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. 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 <laughs> That's my impression of uh, <laughs> of your your general Danny Elfman musical theater rock opera. Uh, <laughs> Nightmare right before Christmas. Uh, right. It's Halloweeny. Welcome, fellies. God, this get that great. on a sound machine and let me listen to that going to sleep every night. That is that is so charming. Well, welcome to the show. This is Chris. Who are you? This. This is Brian. Hi, Brian. This is Eric. Hey, and together we're uh, terrible at this, but it's our podcast. Yeah, it was a huge, and uh, yeah. we'd like to. What do you want you. for nothing? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> what do you want for nothing? Uh, anyway, nothing uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like two uh, two giant sets and no spike, right? Yeah, there. yeah. keep going. Man. Three old men who are three silly little girls. That's us. Oh. Hey there. Yes. <laughs> anyway, how have you been in the long time since we've spoken? Grand, well, sir. Grand. Cool. Cool. Like yeah. to hear it. Like to hear it. Excellent. I love October. I love pumpkin spice <laughs> things. I love I how it's starting to get cold. I yeah. I love that sort of ennui that comes with uh, summer going away. I can't explain right? it, but it's like a depression that wraps you in a, like a warm blanket. I love it. <laughs> I like the I like jacket weather. I don't know if you know what that is, Brian, coming from uh, Phoenix. <laughs> if you even remember what jacket weather is no, like. Oh yes, I, 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 yeah. When you get that little bit of bite in the air, yeah, right. It's, it's good crispness. It's good. Yeah. So yeah, we've we've here in the Chicago have definitely hit that, and I'm digging it. I like it. I remember as a kid, uh, uh, the the dress up day for Halloween in grade school, right, where you show up at school and you're you're yeah and I remember standing out in the field and seeing my breath and going, oh my God, I now remember this from last year. Every day that we have Halloween dress up, that is the first cold day. And yeah. it stuck with me for a long time, but we we then loaded up the planet with fluorocarbons and it's no longer true. Yeah. So <laughs> it's terrible. the it's first terrible. cold day comes long after that now. 
That's okay because Halloween has been completely ruined by the current generation of parents. Like, okay, they had the Halloween thing in my at the park in my neighborhood this weekend, and by this weekend, I mean it was like October fourteenth, like yeah. two weeks before Halloween. Like, yeah. I there was no way I had even thought of what I might go at you know dress up as for halloween by that point but somehow the kids are already supposed to have their shit and be doing their trunk or treats and their other nonsense it's it you've ruined halloween people you've ruined it i mean Um, i don't know the pumpkin spice thing kind of ruins it for me i'm just gonna go out on a ledge go fuck yourself pumpkin spice is awesome (laughs) pumpkin spice lattes pumpkin spice flavored bacon and and cheese whiz i don't care yeah. Uh, Eric, <laughs> I don't know when you became so basic, but good lord, that's frightening. Birth. Birth, sir. Yeah, you, I became basic been, at birth. You've been basic since birth. And well, I've been then. telling everyone around me, why are you trying to expand into other things? Where we are at is perfectly nice. Well, happy Halloween-ish <laughs> to everybody. Pumpkin, shame me. Would you Would you like to do your, your fresh shit? This shit is fresh! I got a rock in my bag. That's every year. That's my joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's this podcast. Of I all remember, the Halloween podcasts. Yeah, going to uh, um, uh, 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 like the the Mill Avenue Beer Company. I think it was, and like sitting, yeah, yeah, yeah. sitting like there and just getting blasted and watching all the costumes go by. And there was one woman girl who was wearing uh, like a a a a fishnet body stocking. Right. Like cat ears, nothing else. Right. Like you could see all her stuff. And I was like, okay, that's Halloween. That's, that's it right there. It's just being an exhibitionist well, and the costumes yeah. are an excuse. Well, it's like that, that YouTube clip that's been around for years now, but it's like the, the costume company, but it's like all this, you can be the sexy dragon, <laughs> sexy, sexy frog. nurse, sexy nurse. <laughs> yeah. And it's just all this lame stuff that shouldn't be sexy, but they think that it needs to be. Like uh, like when they they had the uh, oh god the the uh, sexy handmaid's tail costume yeah. I know a lot of people like like went uh, bat no. shit over that I thought that yeah, was yeah, the yeah. funniest fucking thing I'm oh like I don't god. care how wrong it is that's funny that's good <laughs> wow yeah wow yeah so there you have it so happy uh, all right. Halloween who who would like to go first in this lovely segment. I can oh. I can drag it out forever because I got way uh, too much. Give us give us nope. like two two things, Brian, and then we can uh, well go from there. All right, this, the two things I'm gonna do are gonna be the two concerts I went to at the Hollywood Bowl That's on back to back nights. Let's just call that one thing because it's concerts, so you can just go. From I that. mean, but it's a lot of bands, and that's the thing, right? Okay. So, all right. Um, the first the first night, the headliner was the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. The openers were Japanese Breakfast. Uh-huh. And the Linda Lindas. Linda Lindas. And Chris had brought Linda Lindas to Fresh Shit a while ago. I, I got to see them live. Linda Lindas kick ass, right? guys. Right? Yeah. They are amazing. Um, For a bunch of little kids, they fucking rock. Yeah, <laughs> the, the drummer is 12 years old. Um, the oldest one in the band is 18. The other two are 15 and 16, and they just they just slay. Yeah. They get up there and they play their little punk hearts out, and they've got way too much production value. Like whoever whoever's you know managing them, they've got this video, and and every video they've got is basically just the name of the band in creative ways over and over. Yeah. Um. So you you don't forget. Um. I think, but, but yeah, they got up there and, and rocked the house. I think uh, a couple of them, are, their parents are like in the production side of the industry or some shit. Oh, okay, that would make some sense. That so, would make some sense because I guess they've been together for several years and I'm like, how old was the drummer when this got started? I mean, like, they're Jesus. little. They're little. But yeah, they, they exploded when they did a YouTube video of them playing at the Los Angeles Public Library. Just They did like yeah. th- three songs. And it just exploded from there, and then and well, I think and, and that 
that was partially run or hosted or something by by the lead singer, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, yeah, Aaron yeah. O. And so yeah, um, yeah. So that's why they're they're their opening band. Um, so what what this was? Uh, yeah Yeah Yeahs. Uh, they've got a new album. They they have been like their style keeps changing from album to album. Um, they they've gotten a little. They got really sort of synthy the last couple of albums and now they're their newer one i think they're kind of balancing it out and it's it's bringing back a little bit more of the hard-hitting guitar stuff on top of the synths but they they played stuff from all over their catalog played a big old set um but her thing was at the end she's like this is um between japanese breakfast and the linda lindas and yeah 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 it was three generations of female Asian American female or female fronted rock bands and she got all of the bands on stage at the same time and they did a big super band version of Kids in America which was a lot of fun wow nice Had you had you ever heard yeah, any of the the stuff? But yeah, yeah, yes, before. Um, only in that I edit this podcast, and when you brought the Linda Lindas up, I had to to pu- I think I pulled like racist, sexist boy right, or something in right. uh, okay. for the show. Um, uh, it, so no, it was it was pretty fresh for me. And Japanese Breakfast had done the score to a video game recently which is how i had heard of them but i was really unfamiliar with them they're really good too you know the first song they did she got out there and and was hitting a gong yeah and they've got a lot of unusual instruments they had like saxophone and and a violinist and and stuff and they are they're pretty cool they they are kind of remind me of like mazzy star that kind of yeah yeah very much and so it's yeah it's very mellow but the the woman in that band uh Michelle Zahner, I guess. Uh, she's the one. She wrote a book called "Crying in H Mart" recently, like last year. It's been getting a lot of buzz. Okay. So, I haven't read it, but I hear it's really good. It's like a memoir, but uh, it's sort of dealing with the Asian American experience, I guess. Yeah, there you go. So the thing about the thing about this concert, and it was kind of my complaint with I mentioned Roger Waters on the previous show. Um, if you're gonna do a good concert in my opinion this is true of like a broadway show as well you you kind of want to go full blast or near full blast somewhere before the midpoint right you want to have at least you know get up to 90 percent so that you can reel it back down and 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 then build it back up but you kind of want the audience to know somewhere early on like this is how big and and amazing this can be and i didn't really feel like um the bands, the Roger Waters show didn't really do that, and um, and this show didn't really do that. And the other thing that was kind of a buzzkill was, for the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, we had kind of tacked this on to our trip to L.A. because um, it was convenient. We were staying at a hotel walking distance from the Hollywood Bowl, which, by the way, do that, because parking at the Hollywood Bowl looks like it would be <laughs> well, a fucking nightmare. It's L.A., like um, parking anywhere, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, but but just walking to your hotel is like the best. Um but we were we were there and we were further back, you know, we're in the cheaper seats and we were surrounded by what we have to describe as girls night out. It's like these these nice hen night groups of women who are drinking wine and just will not shut the fuck <laughs> up and it's like white wine with ice cubes in it that's kind of the bullshit you're going with i guarantee oh, it my yeah. god 
<laughs> and, and I'm like, Japanese breakfast is playing, and they're trying to set a mood, and it's impossible to get in a mood when it's girls' night out right next to you, and you just like, yeah. Sounds like I, one I'm of those sorry. kids in the hall sketches where all five of them are in drag, you know? It is. Oh, or God. it's or it's just it's a total Baroness von Sketch moment. Yeah, it's I Baroness it. von Sketch yeah. by a lot, and <laughs> and I'm just I'm just like. I'm sorry, is the band you paid a hundred bucks to see, like, interrupting your bullshit? <laughs> like, well, you know. Um, so, I actually found myself liking that concert more after the fact, like, when I rewatched my videos of it and was able to remember it without having to be annoyed listening to them. Uh, so Yeah, that's always um, the crap shit. That's one reason I don't go to a lot of concerts is because it's you never yeah. know who you're going to get stuck next to. And it's just, sometimes yeah, it's yeah, not worth true. it. So then, that was awesome. It was a good show. Recommend it. And then the next night, we saw something we'd bought tickets for back in 2019. Finally happened, which is the Unity Tour, which was the Pet Shop Boys and New Order um, touring the country and each, each night it's a different order and a different one of them is the headliner so each night is a new order is what you're telling us oh <laughs> yes in okay, fact okay. apparently it was but ding so you yes had you seen both of these bands in their heyday i saw new order on the substance tour probably okay. with you um no it wasn't me i have never yeah. seen the pet shop boys okay. uh in person I never thought I would. I had seen a video that they released back in like 1992 or something called Performance, which is as close as I thought I would ever get to seeing the Pet Shop Boys because they don't play the States much. They pretty much play, you know, Europe and and that's about it. So getting to see them live was like a a big deal for me. Shop Boys delivered. They were way better than expected. Um, they played all the hits. They played some deep cuts you didn't think they would play. Um, and they did have a band. At first, it wasn't clear that they had a band. They were standing in front of this scrim with a bunch of projections and stuff, and it's just Neil Tennant standing there and Chris Lowe um, behind his keyboards, and he's got like a freaking big-ass you know, full-size computer at the base of his keyboard stand and a monitor mounted to it, and he's just standing there, and they've got these weird-ass masks on. And for the first song, they literally just stood, like, perfectly still wearing these masks and just did a song, and it's like, okay. But they knew how to put on a show. They knew how to, like, crank it up and, and have dynamics and move it along, and the light show was thought out, and... So they put on a full-on show, and then they reveal that there is a band on stage behind them, and they do all kinds of good stuff. And Neil Tennant's voice is perfect. Like, he's singing live, and even listening to recordings played back, like, he's just in the pocket. Like, nobody's business. He okay. nails it. Um, so if you've ever been into Pet Shop Boys, and I know that most people aren't, but I was... Um, Definitely take the chance to see them live. Did they do? Um, did they do? I'm with stupid by any chance? They did not do. I'm with stupid. Okay. But oh well. They did. They did a lot of really good stuff. Their their rendition of "It's a Sin" was a real highlight. Um, definitely, definitely good. Um, okay. And then um, there was DJ Paul Oakenfold was playing before each of the bands and that was kind of interesting because you know it turns out that's a really good idea for a nostalgia tour like this it's like i just wanted to go clubbing in the 90s (laughs) listening to this guy's sets you know and it's like okay but then new order takes the stage um so new order bernard sumner 
I got to give him props for his punk credentials, okay? Because somehow, having been in New Order for over 40 years... He has still not learned how to sing or play the guitar. <laughs> he doesn't at care. All. <laughs> he learned from the best in Joy Division, right? I mean, but but how do you do that for that long and not accidentally pick up some well, skills? No, do you, do you, he has not. Do you, do you feel like maybe it's an affectation? Like he just thinks that that's what people expect? I think he just sucks. Or he's I, just I, lazy. I don't know. Okay. Um, Good for him. I, I mean, some people online were saying he had a cold, but I'm like, no, that doesn't explain the guitar playing. Um, <laughs> you know, and you know, and so like on a song like "Bizarre Love Triangle," it sounds great when it's just the instrumental part, and then he starts singing, and my wife is like, "Okay, so like on the '80s cruise when you're constantly walking past the karaoke." This is karaoke. Yeah, really. This is just like a drunk dude kind of sort of doing a New Order song. I refuse to believe in reincarnation because I don't want to go back as a bug <laughs> or as a rabbit. You know, you're a real up person. Up person. Boom. Yes. Okay. But, but, um, but when they did their earlier stuff, like Temptation or Everything's Gone Green, um, and it's and it's more of a punk aesthetic and it's more guitar-y, mm-hmm. actually, that's where it really worked. And so New Order's biggest hits weren't all that great, but they're back catalog stuff worked pretty well yeah and and they also finally brought the lasers like i've been going to all these concerts i want some goddamn lasers roger waters didn't bring the lasers but new order sure the hell did that's like the, that's the t-shirt for the show bring Where's the, lasers? the lasers i'm i'm serious if i'm going to a big outdoor venue shoot some lasers into the sky and make some planes crash let's do this right so um yeah and they they closed their set out they did level terrace apart which again you don't have to be good at singing to to do properly um so it was a fun show but the pet shop boys blew new order out of the water wasn't even close how dare they how dare they (laughs) okay Well, you know. Um, so yeah, that's me going on and on and on. Questions, or you want to just do other fresh shit? <laughs> I'm just, I'm honestly shocked that you have never had never seen the Pet Shop Boys before. I could have sworn you'd seen them. When when would I have seen them? I don't know. Did in they the, tour the states? I'm talking like in the '80s when you would have seen New Order, that kind of thing. So yeah, no, okay. hadn't, hadn't seen them. Interesting. Okay, it's definitely yeah. a gap in my in my. Uh, checklist there. well you're you're all about the bucket list brian that's what i like about you it's for real <laughs> and your list is long apparently so there you i have started it. a spreadsheet of like trying oh, to think of every single band yeah. i've seen how, how full is i guess that's the thing as someone without a bucket list like at some point do you go okay the bucket's full now i can be dead i mean does no. it happen or are you just like constantly expanding your bucket no I, i'm kind of working on that <laughs> Yeah, he's very he's very methodical. My bucket list is sort of like you know it when you do it. It's like oh, I think that might have been a bucket list item. Okay, check. <laughs> but I don't sit yeah. around with the spreadsheets and like meticulously plan out every like activity that I need to get done before I die. I would lose my mind. <laughs> I think I, I think a bucket like- list a bucket list would have been a good idea for because like for the last fifteen years I've been going. We done yet? Yeah, really. <laughs> Is that it? We done? Can we go? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how to get all these things checked off before I'm too old to enjoy it. Right. right? So. Okay. Yeah. Well. So, anyway. Speaking uh, of uh, of bucket lists, this this is one that I didn't know I was needing until I started it. But uh, HBO Max has started showing the full run of the early '90s sitcom called Living Single. You guys familiar with this show? The one with, I, with yeah, Queen Latifah. I agree Queen that Latifah, I would not have known I needed Queen that. Latifah, yeah. Queen Latifah and... Um, uh, Kim uh, Coles. Stand-up comic, yes, Kim Coles. Yeah, and then no. uh, etc. It's basically, it came out the year before Friends, but it's essentially Friends, but done like in an urban aesthetic, for lack Was of a better term. Was this a show? Yes. Yeah, I think so, I think so. 
Okay. Uh, and I never watched it when it was out, but apparently my wife did, like loved it, and would like watch it with her friends. And so we just started, like uh, we saw it was on, so just decided to start watching it. And it's actually very passable entertainment, much to my surprise. Yeah. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I remember catching it accidentally back when it was on and going, yeah. oh my God, I like this show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually <laughs> like, got some... I like this this faint praise. I'm quite pleasantly surprised that it was passable. Well, I wow. mean, a it's, a, a, it's an old sitcom. B, it's like about a bunch of young urban professionals in New York in the early 90s. Uh, I mean, there's nothing about this show that screams quality to me, especially since it was on the sure. UPN network. I mean, it didn't even have a chance on a regular. And so, ah, it just sort of missed me when it came out. And then I'm watching it now going, Queen Latifah is actually quite good. It's her first like acting that, gig. That isn't surprising. And, she's, uh, she's awesome. And Kim Coles, who I guess was on uh, In Living Color. Uh, was sort of she's like right well basically it's almost like they've got uh it's like if you fuse golden girls with friends you get sort of yeah. the basic shtick yeah absolutely because cause you've got like the four main women who are very much like the golden girls so you've got queen latifah is sort of the dorothy character the b arthur then you've got the the blanche character who's played by kim fields from 2d uh, 2d from uh mm-hmm. from facts of life who who's sort of that and then you've got sort of the the Dorothy or who no the Rose character who's Kim Coles who's sort of the spacey weirdo from some small town and then you've got the the Rose character in this one it's like a their lawyer friend that lives next door and she's just sassy yeah she's more she's more like less less like Rose and more like Miranda from yeah. uh, uh, Sex in the City yeah and it's just like every episode is just their shenanigans and then like the the two guys that live upstairs one's the handyman. And one's like a, a finance guy, and they just come down, and it's they're sort of like the Ross and Joey, or whatever, the Chandler and Joey <laughs> characters. So it's like this weird fusion, but it came out like a year before Friends, but it's totally Friends, and they do it so much better. <laughs> like it's just so strange to watch. It's so, cultural appropriation, <laughs> yeah. But it's so so nineties. Like the opening title sequence is like the Queen Latifah song. Cause we're living single. And then they do all these like fast cuts to like, like weird early nineties computer graphics. And then they're dancing in like the office or whatever. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. And there's nothing about this show that I would have ever thought that it would have been appealing (laughs) by any stretch. And yet I'm hooked. So now it's like, there's five seasons. We're going to watch them all. That's what we're doing. Bucket list. Check. Ching. Boom. Wait. Uh, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for the roommate from hell. Okay. There's a cameo there. Nice. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how we've been filling our time between hockey. And then I did go back and just on a lark, uh, rewatch the, the first three John Wick movies in order, like three nights in a row. Okay. And, uh, I gotta tell you, it still holds up. It still holds up. I'm so stoked for the... For four, have, have you seen the trailer for four? No, I'm not watching anything. I want to be surprised. Oh man, they're they're gonna deliver the goods again. I'm confident. <laughs> I like though, like when you watch it from the first one, it's just this down and dirty. Like he's back and he's mad and he literally murders everybody. And yeah. then the second one, they sort of expand the the mythology about it, and then it's sort of like almost amps it up into the Looney Tunes cartoon violence, but they kind of bring it in just enough to make it more realistic. By the time you get to the third one, it's straight up like Daffy Duck on a killing spree. I mean, that's literally <laughs> the movie. And I yeah. love the fact that they just do that. They just, like the third one, they're like, nah, fuck it. We're just giving people what can, they want. Can I tell you, the moment they gave him a bulletproof suit and he yes. started like holding his jacket over his face yes, so that people yes. could shoot at him, I was out. But I... <laughs> I like that first one so much. Very tight revenge story. Yeah. You're in and you're out with John Wick. You know, it yeah. just, it gets done and you're good. I think they should have called the second one, I told you not to pick at it, because yeah. everything about the movies <laughs> yeah. going forward is, if only you hadn't done what you'd done in the first movie, yeah. we wouldn't be well, still doing this well, shit. Well, I love the fact that by the third one, they made it into sort of a running joke where everybody's like, all this for a dog and it's like it's not about the fucking dog 
episodes. Yeah, but it's just funny. And the pencil. Stop it with the pencil. We get it. He kills people with a pencil. Dude, when again. you get Jesus. to the op- like the like the first big fight in the third one when he kills the giant with the book that every time kills me. But then you get to the scene where he's running away from the dudes and he runs into the horse thing. And he's like using yeah. a horse as a weapon, like slapping the horse ass and it's kicking the dudes in the face. I mean, it's just That's so, awesome. it's yeah. so ludicrous <laughs> and so over the top. And I am so in every time. It's amazing. It's so you stupid. You know, my, my biggest thinking of- gripe. Sorry, go ahead. Now, my biggest gripe with John Wick 3 is that it ruined Iron Chef for me. Right. Because <laughs> the guy who plays the, the chairman on Iron Chef is one of the baddies. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Greg, yeah. So anyway. Dukos- Mark Dukoskis. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, uh, like, okay, so the guy who made these John Wick movies was uh, Keanu's stunt double, right? Okay. That's, Ch- Chad that's how this started. S- Swidurs- initially. Chad Swiderski or whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is exactly how Hal Needham uh, and Burt Reynolds came together for Smokey oh, and the Bandit. There it's you like, go. There is an interesting marriage of, of a stuntman and actor. You yeah. Know? That uh, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is basically that. Those two could have gone on to make Smokey and the Bandit. There you go. Wonder okay. how often that happens. Well, that you uh, get interesting least, action movies out of a stuntman given a shot. At least twice. At least twice. Gone in but sixty seconds. <laughs> okay, there's so a show often the stuntmen, the stunt coordinators, end up being like the second unit directors. And, yeah, and you know it goes from there. But yeah. Okay, I'm just waiting for John Wick in space. That's really all I want now. So, oh, eventually. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, that's it for me. Did we trample all over your all right. your deal, Eric? I didn't have much of a deal. Uh, okay. I, okay. I, I just wanna I just wanna uh, promote a, another podcast called "Well, There's Your Problem," which is basically <laughs> this podcast. But uh-huh. instead of movies, they talk about engineering disasters nice. and d- things that went the fuck wrong. And it's really funny. These three guys are really hilarious and talking about a lot of people dying on a ferry accident, you know, or how the towers <laughs> came down, shit like that. Uh, Guggenheim then told Etches, if anything should happen to me, tell my wife in New York that I've done my best in doing my duty. Um, then he walked off to help passengers into boats seven and five. At another point, Guggenheim stopped another steward, apparently, and told him to tell his wife that I played the game straight to the end, that no woman was left on board this ship because Ben Guggenheim was a coward. Tell her that my last Matt. thoughts will be of her okay, and her guy, girls. Okay, guys, okay. Take one yeah. set of lost words and then <laughs> fucking leave you it, man. Do that. That's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> He's just going around dictating his, like, last thoughts to everybody. He's, like, stopping them, <laughs> grabbing them by the collar. Listen, Ben Guggenheim loved his fucking wife, okay? It's really, it's, it, I, I highly recommend, yeah. in fact, actually, not just the podcast go to youtube and look yeah. it up because the the podcast is essentially a slideshow where they will show you images okay now here you can see this is where this thing crumpled and it's worth it for the visuals uh i i i've, I've really been enjoying yeah it's for kids this podcast yeah yeah okay i like it that, and like, also you, you, that you gravitate yeah, to anything that makes death uh fun that's your, yeah. your deal I like that about you. Kinda. I always have. I, I, I think the problem with like all the other stuff that's supposed to be fun is it's boring now. Let's go okay. to the stuff that's not. Okay. Uh, and there's a great short video I caught on YouTube. Is James Bond a psychopath? And uh, yeah, I'm convinced he is. Oh, he totally is. Oh, that reminds me. Oh, sidebar. Yeah. I forgot to mention that I watched this new doc uh, all about the music of James Bond. That's part of their like 60th anniversary. Oh deal. yeah, I saw yeah, that. The Sound of saw Bond on yeah. Hulu. Uh, and basically the, it comes across as sort of like a DVD extra for, uh, no time to die because it's literally a third of it's all about the Billie Eilish song and how they made it and all that bullshit. And it's like, you could, you did, you did me wrong. You could have talked about so much more, (laughs) but no, there are three Shirley Bassey's you could have gone into. Yeah. 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 They did a, they did a concert, um, of the bond themes recently. Shirley Manson was posting on on social media that she was so excited to share a stage with Shirley Bassey yeah. to go and do their songs. So hopefully there will be a video of that soon. Yeah. But I mean, if you're a, if you're a bond completist, it's not bad. There was a little bit of history. I didn't know 
but a lot of it's just glossed over to get to the no time to die infomercial bullshit. And I'm like, come on, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I yeah. didn't think of that. Go ahead. Anyone? Anyone? I don't have nothing. (laughs) Nothing else. (laughs) Hijacking your fresh. Okay. Okay. Sorry. On with the show. Stephen King. You like him? You you don't like him? What's your What's your stance? Uh, Overrated. Yep, I would agree to to some extent. Wantonly overrated. Never ever gotten why he was such a big thing like uh, it's okay it's weird though because he's his own genre because he's not quite horror he's not quite supernatural he's not quite thriller but he is it's all like of pop those things horror. yeah but he's all of those things at the same time but yeah. he's written like 60 books or some shit by now because he's been at it since like 1974 yeah he, he's as prolific as rl stein and goosebumps but yeah. that's not a person yeah <laughs> and it's just and it's crazy but over time, what gets me is that uh, you start seeing the same like segments of stories just show up in retellings with different characters, etc. But it's like he's rehashing a lot of the same stuff, and I guess right. that's part of his uh, oeuvre. That's like what makes a Stephen I, King book a Stephen King book. Uh, so yeah. it's just strange to me. I read God. What was I can't remember. I think I tried. Yeah, I read the Langoliers. Which is, yeah. I think, a short story. I was like, yeah. okay, this is passively entertaining. Right. And then I read, I remember something else. And I was like, wait a minute, this is the same shit. This is almost the exact same shit. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I read uh, The Shining, and I was like, wait, no, this is like, you know, the, the the film is genius, but what he wrote, it's like, no, this is every other goddamn Stephen King book I've ever. Right. The only original Stephen King novel I think I've ever read was Green Mile. Uh, okay. And that was pretty late. Well, for me, it's like uh, when I was a teenager, for some reason, my family fixated on the fact that I read some Stephen King. And so for like three or four years, like every Christmas, I would get one or two Stephen King books. It was just weird. Oh, that's, your parents uh, are weird. And so, <laughs> and so I, you know, I read a, a few and one of them was the short story collection Skeleton Crew. And this sort of boils down to the thesis of our program here because we're going to be talking about the movie adaptations. But what strikes me about King is that he borrows so much from his books over time that it sort of becomes this indistinguishable story. And there's a short story in Skeleton Crew about a guy who's smuggling like heroin or cocaine. No, I think it's heroin on a cruise and the cruise ship sinks and he winds up stranded on a desert island and over t- and it's like these diary entries and then over the course of time because he's a doctor he uh fucks up his foot and has to amputate and then realizes that he can eat his foot to stay alive and then he starts using oh. the heroin to anesthetize himself and he starts eating himself from the foot up <laughs> and that sort of to me is the perfect uh thing for a Stephen King story is that over time he just he starts to cannibalize himself ever so slightly (laughs) until by the time you get to the later works it's sort of like well i just i read this like 15 20 years ago in this and i read this over here and this and so that's sort of how i think of stephen king now he's when he's on he's on but most of the time it's just come on so that's my beef with stephen king am i right or am i right My my beef with Stephen King is like okay, I'm I was big big into the Twilight Zone right like mm-hmm. that that is a you know a, an all time favorite of mine, and you'd think that would that would align me with Stephen King, but the thing is that Stephen King doesn't really filter out the bad ideas. He just kind of puts all of his ideas down yeah, on yeah. the page, and it's like it, it doesn't. He's he's more like those um those magazines like um Tales from the Crypt or something back in the fifties or whatever that that's obviously his inspiration, right? These just pulp comic horror stories. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> Tales of the Black uh, Freighter or whatever that was from Watchmen, but um He's more like that than the Twilight Zone, so he's just schlockier, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not helped by the fact that by the time he gets into the 80s, he's t- 
totally coked out of his mind most of the time. And he doesn't quit doing cocaine until like the early 90s, I guess. And so maybe that's why you see so much of the same stuff sort of filter in. I don't know. I mean, it's almost like he's uh, like Philip K. Dick and he just needs to get paid by the word. And he's just cranking this shit out as fast as he can. <laughs> uh, well, it's like he has he has a formula that works. It's like yeah. he, he knows his his structures, his own structure so well that all he needs is a single idea and then right. plug it in. And okay. then you've got the dark half or thinner or anything. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not decidedly different, but it still has a progression that's I'll give him this. It's readable. I mean, yeah. it's not you know, it, 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 yeah, it's yeah. not clunky, no. but it's it's not fun. It's nothing new. Yeah, yeah. it's. I mean, it, it has its place, but uh, I just yeah. Over time, like after I read The Stand, that to me is his magnum opus. I just I yeah. love that book so much uh, because there's so much going on in it, and it's not really horror, but it is. It's not really fantasy, but it is. I mean, there's just a lot going on, but it's sort of like this. If you want a story about the the post apocalypse, Stephen King is definitely one of the people you want to write it, and he just nails it. And after I read that, I'm like, well, everything else is just sort of like I don't know, eh. That was my feeling, yeah. and so that's that was sort of the beginning of the end for me with with Stephen King. So, yeah, uh, the difference with the stand, I think, is the scope because that's right, you know, global uh, annihilation and. Right. You know I love that, so I'm already on board there. (laughs) But then everything else is usually person alone with bad thing. Right. Or group of friends from childhood alone with bad Bad thing. thing. It's one of those two. Yeah. Well, and there's also like a heavy dose of PTSD in the main characters, like in the Dead Zone or The Shining or whatever. I mean, it's that sort of vibe. So it's... You start seeing the same thing. And then, like, it feels like every fourth or fifth book has to be about a main character who's a writer dealing with some shit. Yeah. yeah. From so, Maine. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Most people don't think of, you know, it's funny. We, we Last week's show was uh, Psychos versus Monsters. Right. Most Stephen King, uh, 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 I guess, antagonists are, uh-huh. you know, ghost supernatural monsters. But Misery isn't considered a horror because it doesn't have a ghost or you know but really it's it's a hor- it's a real horror movie yeah. because it's a crazy person i mean i it's that's also a good segue into the the movie adaptations because it's it's sort of like they're hit or miss and i think it depends entirely on the filmmaker more than anything but also you know the source material because it, we're at yeah. a stage now where he's been at it so long that there are multiple variations of the same story being adapted into film and television and you can kind of see the difference between who makes them but you get to stuff like Mm -hmm. misery which i would put near the top of his movie adaptations because rob reiner wouldn't everyone yeah and that's what i'm (laughs) saying is that but you get someone other than rob reiner doing that and i don't know if it would be effective i guarantee i mean it would just it would basically yeah, there's there's a whole separate show on the Frank Darabont approach to right, Stephen right. King and why oh, his God. films work. Uh, the only one of his I like, though, is and it's not even horror, but it's the Shawshank Redemption. I mean, I could watch yeah. that anytime it's on, but... You didn't like uh, The Mist? I hated The Mist. It was so telegraphed. Oh. It's like, oh, we're the monsters. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just it was too heavy handed for me. Uh, and then Darabont, Darabont changes the ending uh, where he kills everybody, and then five minutes later, the military shows up, and that's not in the, the novella. And I'm like, why did you put such a downer fucking ending on this thing, Because it's funny. God oh, my damn. God. I remember going, oh, yeah, get him. I was laughing so hard when that yeah. happened. I, I, it was uh, such an O. Henry moment. Yeah. yeah. But I just didn't get the hype for The Mist because it was just it's too much like other stuff he's done. Uh, you know, like the people trapped. So that's uh, yeah. Like, like I don't know. I like, like it's got bits of The Shining in it. It's got bits of The Running Man. I mean, it's just uh, yeah. I don't know. Did Whatever. not I did not care for yeah the mist. I didn't care for you know the story. I like Frank Darabont is what I'm saying. You know, okay. I think he's the most grown up creator of films. You know, 
well, that has adapted Stephen King outside of Kubrick. But it's so weird that like like seventy five percent of his filmmaking is Stephen King adaptations. It's like a weird cottage industry. It's only like wrong. three. That's still that's like those a lot. two and Green Mile. Okay, that's still a lot. I guess. Uh, yeah. There you go. Hmm. So when so when when Misery came out, just a footnote on it. Um, I was managing a movie theater. <laughs> right. And um, there's this wonderful jump scare in Misery where James Caan is crawling away and she jumps <laughs> on his back. Yeah. But the thing is that the soundtrack drops to total silence during the crawling scene. And so it was really easy for us to go up in the projection booth. And crank it. And during the yes, silence... Yes. Crank that THX all the way up to 10 <laughs> so that when Kathy Bates jumps on him, the whole audience just loses their shit. That's it was so fun amazing. to watch that. We did that, like, most showings of Misery. Okay. Welcome, everybody. That's great, man. <laughs> yeah. Where were you when I needed you? Like, do you remember the first uh, Stephen King movie that you saw? Cujo. Was it Cujo? I still haven't seen yeah. Cujo, oh, truth be told. Is that good? Yeah, it's claustrophobic. As somebody yeah. who grew up in the desert, having to watch somebody spend nearly the entire time trapped in a car with a ch- screaming child in the desert, yeah. I don't recommend it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you, do you remember which one you saw first, Brian? God, I don't. Yeah, I, it's tough. I, you know, I was. It was probably like Creep Show, and I wasn't aware of Stephen right? King as yeah, a yeah. thing. Exactly. At the time, like. Like him is in that one segment, Jordy Farrell, you lunkhead. And then he gets like oh, the, yeah. the green moss all over him. <laughs> uh, but that, that's a good segue into uh, one of the sidebars was where it, the material has to match the director. And so that was his first mm-hmm. uh, team up with Romero. And Creepshow works on so many levels. It's still such a good movie, uh, whether or not it's an anthology or not. It's just one of the, the prime examples of when they do it right, it it just nails yeah. it. But then you get to something There's like so the, many attempts at anthology yeah. that that are just they're just a drag. It's almost yeah. like yeah, we get it. A bunch of short stories. Ooh, scary. The lamp yeah. is coming at him. Ooh, I uh, like anthologies. What's wrong with anthologies? I like them when they're yeah. good. That's yeah. the thing. If they just rely on the fact that we couldn't think of an entire story, so here's four shorts. Yeah, they better be really goddamn good. Creepshow yeah. were. Because you look at you look at Creepshow, but then you look at something like Cat's Eye, which is just sort of like ho hum, ho hum. Mm-hmm. I also liked Cat's Eye, <laughs> but it's but it Cat's Eye to me feels like Trilogy of Terror or something like that from the seventies. It's just sort of eh. I mean, it's fine to kill time, but it's just not great. You know what I mean? Well, so. Cat's Eye is two stories from Night Shift and then some bullshit they wrote for Cat's Eye. Yeah, right. Like and it's and yeah. I, I don't know. I think the two from Night Shift are are fun little Twilight Zone episodes. Well, right the the first the first segment is this is this um, thing about quitting smoking, and um, you know it's it's a very much a Twilight Zone episode about this extreme uh, company that helps you quit right. by you yeah. know torturing your family, and the second one is a revenge tale of guy catches another guy cheating on his wife and what they do to each other done done much but almost the same story as what's in creep show but creep show did it better i'm sorry yeah. the, the whole thing with burying him up to his neck in the beach <laughs> that's and it was that's actually true. scary like at the end of creep show you get to the one where it's the the neat freak dude in the penthouse like the hermetically sealed penthouse and then the oh co- god that yeah. fucked me up yeah and the, and the cockroaches <laughs> slowly like get in there like i think the first time i ever saw creep show it was on like Showtime or something and it was late at night and I had all the lights off and I was watching it. And then you get to that and I swear to God, I shit you not at the end of the movie after that, like where the cockroaches finally overwhelm the guy and kill him. I look off to the side and in the pale glow of the TV screen, there's a cockroach like crawling up the wall of my living room and I lost my fucking mind. Oh my God. And that's just indelible (laughs) to me. So Creepshow has always been up there near the top because it's just so fun. But then you look at like uh, Cat's Eye and that's directed by the same guy that did Cujo. And so that's where you kind of see, to me, the sub tier. 
because that's on the heels of the first movie, which is Carrie, which Brian De Palma did. And I love Carrie. Right. I mean, it's it's clunky now to watch, but it's still yeah. so good. It's fun. It's just, you know, the dirty pillows and that whole nine yards. And it's such a De Palma movie because it's just trash. And he does trash so well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, it was. That, I remember being very disco and like lots of uh, yeah. multi-pane shots of dude walking down the street. It's like yeah, yeah. it's very seventies. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, very, very, I guess, pop culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and Firestarter, Carrie and Firestarter are both um, movies that have been made twice. Right uh, now, well, Carrie's been made um, like like three times. They've had a go at it, and then Firestarter's got the two now. So yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's just so, the, so, so weird. But that was the thing. It was Carrie, and then, like, all of a sudden, it was everywhere. It was, like, Cujo and Christine and Firestarter were all, like, as far as I know, out at the same time. Well, like, <laughs> yeah, like, Carrie came out in 76, and then it was a big right. hit. But then they did, like, Salem's Lot for TV, so there's not a lot in the 70s. But then by the time you get to the 80s, it just explodes, and it starts with The Shining, with Kubrick. Which to me, that's the gold standard. That's like the preeminent Stephen King movie adaptation. You, you almost don't. It's almost not an adaptation. That's, it's and it's I, really. It's almost yeah. like he picked bits and yeah. made his own movie, and that's why Stephen King hates it. Yeah. But it's also why it's so good. And that's what that's it's like. It's like Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. Tolkien, Basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's and it's so funny to me that. King hates the Kubrick movies so much, and it's like, how do you hate this? Is like the most perfect adaptation of any of your works ever. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just pristine, <clears throat> chef's kiss. What do you hate about it? Like years later, I read the the novel, and I hated the novel. I'm like, this is this was your original idea. I'm like, there's yeah. good stuff in here, but Kubrick basically took all the good bits and cranked it to eleven. You should be kissing his fucking feet (laughs) i I think his problem with it is that if the shining is you know like he he is he is the dad right he's the writer he's the one who's trying to absolve himself of his sins when we get to the film though the writer's no longer the main character danny is yeah it's about watching everything and everyone around fail him miserably and it's like, that wasn't my point. Yeah, we don't care what your point was. This yeah. is better. Well, I like the fact that the movie version, uh, it, like the hotel may or may not be haunted. It may all be in the mind of Jack Nicholson's character. And you're seeing the, through the kid's eye where everything sort of just falls apart. I mean, it's like, they are very vagueish about it to a certain degree. And so it's just fun to watch Well, until unravel. Wendy starts seeing shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, uh... But I recently watched Doctor Sleep, uh, and I was very surprised at how good that was. It actually made me want to read the book, which is rare, because mm. they they towed the line between what King wants and what Kubrick had done, and they married them very well. But as an ad, like as a sequel to The Shining, I was like, ah, uh, okay, because it's literally just uh, Van Helsing going after Dracula, kind of a story. That's yeah, really all it that was. That was my problem with it. And so, it was it was base yeah, it was it was a Lost Boys kind of thing. It's yeah. like I don't want to the the, the 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 Shining was so much better than just a pack right. of traveling vampires. I understand there's a longer version of that film I need to see, but yeah. so yeah. It's goofy. But yeah, but the early 80s was like big name directors sort of taking on this thing and so it had I think that sort of gave it a sheen of uh, legitimacy, like it, like De Palma, sure, but he made Carrie when he wasn't really De Palma yet. Uh, but then you get Kubrick doing The Shining, you get Cronenberg doing The Dead Zone, you get John Carpenter, Christine, Rob Reiner does Stand by Me, uh, and Misery later, and so it sort of takes on the sheen of respectability almost. And these are trash mm-hmm. novels. I mean, I'll be upfront; they're enjoyable, but it's still trash. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a it's a beach read, uh, and somehow there, there's a reason it's the favorite book of that dopey lady from the office that you work with. <laughs> you know, true. there's always that one, yeah, yeah. one lady who's like into like 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 Michael McDonald music, and she's she's also reading a Stephen yeah. King novel. Right? 
but they all have something sort of distinct, like Cronenberg's version of the Dead Zone. Uh, it's uneven, but it's also sort of interesting. At A, because you have Walken at its center as this like totally yeah. damaged PTSD uh, crash survivor who's now got this weird ability. And, uh, and then Christine, it, Christine's kind of a bust for me. I mean, I like it to a degree, but it's obviously the start of John Carpenter just doing movies for the paycheck kind of a thing, and that I can't get over. All right. So, yeah, so these are all, like, hitting, and, and this was just me kind of going, eh. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of um, nutty. We should, let's, we should, we should, like, get right down to the, uh, if you don't mind, the, the good, ni- bad, yeah. ugly the concept. Gritchy. Like, what's. Yeah, what is then of all these Stephen King novels, in your opinion? Uh, maybe we need to exclude The Shining because I think we've already, you know, yeah, s- sort of waxed nostalgic about that one. But your yeah. favorite Stephen King adaptation? That's a tough one. That's a tough yeah. one. It's definitely not Dreamcatcher by any stretch. <laughs> well, we'll get to the bad ones. <laughs> yeah, don't go <laughs> not. Come on. we certainly <laughs> goddamn will. Uh, yeah. That's a tough one. I would. I think Carrie is probably the one I revisit the most. So by default, yeah. that's probably. I mean, I would count. I don't count Shawshank just because that's not a horror movie, even though it is a King adaptation. Uh, that's my All favorite. Right. But Carrie of the horror type, whatever's, is the one I go to the most. I'll I'll go with recency bias here, but I really liked fourteen oh eight. Okay. Um, yeah. Thanks to Eric. Yeah. Eric's pick. Okay. Yeah. That was Eric making us watch that, so definitely a good yeah. one. Okay. I forgot um, that was a Stephen King. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. Eric, what's yours? Yes. Uh, well, again, since we're not talking about The Stand. Um, or The Shining. And, 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 yeah, and The Green Mile is not a horror, so I guess that doesn't. I, and that's a tough one for me to watch, because I'm like, uh, how many Stephen King prison movies is Frank Darabont going to make? And that's where it kind of yeah. loses me. Anyway. I would say an underrated uh, one worth checking out is The Dark Half, which is... uh, um, It's not bad. Timothy Hutton, yeah, in in a sort of dual role and going insane. I I like that film a lot. It was uh, surprising, because I thought it was going to be another knockoff Stephen King film, and yeah, it's really fun. I think uh, when those came out, like... They came out right before Needful Things, but they came out in the same year. But Needful Things is the one that King wrote right after he quit Coke. And it yeah. shows, because it's just all over the place. <laughs> uh, but if if you look at the dark half, I think that might have been one of the last ones he wrote when he was on his Coke binges. And it shows, because yeah. it's literally about like your alter ego just taking over everything and yeah. just fucking it up. And it's, it's a good and read. And it's a the film is a written and directed by George Romero. Right. So again, a guy who knows this this oove. Yeah. So it works. It's fun, and I mean it's it's definitely uh, not like art. I would say, but it's it's definitely a good B movie. It's it's like you know like a lot of uh, uh, pulp. I think I think is overrated. The, right. the truth is most of it was shit, but occasionally you get like a a Dashiell Hammett or a Raymond Chandler that right. just sort of rises out of it with all this quality and makes the whole thing look better than it was. Yeah. Well, I, I think, kind mm. of feel like I like the dark half is one of those things that was like it was part of this all this shit that was lying on the floor, but it's so much better than the average yeah. shit. <laughs> well, I like that it's uh that it's wrestling with the whole idea of the author who has made a lot of money in pulp who wants to move on and do something actually mm, artistic mm-hmm. with integrity, and it's sort of that butting heads, and him sort of figuring out wh- which part is going to take control, and I, I think that's a very interesting right. take for someone like Stephen King uh, to do, because it's like he bangs these things out, but at the same time, you can tell that he, he wants to write, like, War and Peace or something. He thinks he might have that in him, yeah, but he's not sure. <laughs> that's the dark. Kind of a fun <laughs> call and response with uh, Misery. Yeah, exactly. So what about the bad ones? What, what, uh, what's bad? I think we can all go on so record much. and say, yeah, <laughs> we can all go on record and say, well, it's not, 
highly regarded. It's still stupid fun, but it's also just the worst thing ever. His uh, maximum overdrive, his one and only directorial effort. There it is. That yeah, thing is a is. fucking trash fire from hell. <laughs> oh Christ! <laughs> I I guess, but the thing is, like you say, it's interesting. There's so many parts in that that are so fun to watch. Yeah, and consider that I I have a hard time saying it's even bad. Well, I mean, it is weird, but yeah. it is not. It's like there's some some films on the bad Stephen King list. That are so like aggressively bad. Yeah. That uh Yeah. Well, well this is sort of <laughs> I mean Yeah. I, I can't get over the fact I and and okay. I I knew that everybody didn't like Maximum Overdrive, so I haven't seen it. Do they explain why it's the damn green goblin on the front of that thing? Because it's the that green happens goblin. To be, that happens to be a toy company. Yeah. It's like all the machines take over. Okay. That particular machine is just, yeah, it's yeah. advertising for the toy company. Yeah, it's just an addition to the truck. Okay. But where... Is, is, right. it, is it, in fact, the Green Goblin, or is it no, just it's just, an it's, obvious No, it's like if it, had been, if it had been that Oscar Mayer wiener truck, it would have been a big hot dog trying to kill him. It's, it's basically <laughs> yeah. the same thing. But where, but where it's funny is that and this is where you start to see sort of uh, revisionist stuff. Is you if if you transpose maximum overdrive over the mist, it's basically this is what happens when someone who knows how to make movies does this story. <laughs> because Stephen King is not a filmmaker. He was he was probably high on cocaine ninety seven percent of the time making that movie, and it's terrible and it shows. Whereas the mist is literally the same vibe. It's the same people trapped in the store, blah blah blah. But it's actually well done. So it's that's sort of the difference to me, but yeah. But until you see something like the mist, it's hard to explain how much of a train wreck maximum overdrive truly is. It's astonishing. I think. Well, the the bad one I needed to bring, and this is a cheat because it, you can't call this an adaptation. Yeah. But it's also terrible. And it's the Lawnmower Man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That is one that I don't get because it's loosely based. I love it when they, they use that. I mean, kind of. Like, the Lawnmower Man is literally about a guy who eats grass. Yeah. It's like the, so the, terrible. The short story. Right. And the fact that it but, made money is astonishing to me because even for the time, the graphics were terrible. You know? It's just. Yeah. Oh. It. It's, that it's was, all kinds of awful. Yeah. Wasn't that kind of like like the way they, they take um, Ian Fleming titles to make a James Bond movie yeah, but yeah. they don't actually use it's any the of same. them? It's the same, yeah. It's one of those. Yeah. But that's also like you could go back to The Running Man from the 87, and that's Starsky from Starsky and Hutch. Paul Michael Glazer uh, made that adaptation, and that's also loosely based. It's like, and that's the Richard Bachman subset of the Stephen King novels. Like that and thinner and and whatnot, where he didn't even want to put right. his own name on it. I mean, it's just that kind of thing. So, but yeah, Lawnmower Man is oh god, is, that's right, is terrible. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what's your worst? What do you got? Oh, hands down, Dreamcatcher is the most insulting <laughs> pile of shit ever made. And the thing is, there's so much here. You just, on paper, look at it. I'm sure some producer looked at this and said, oh, I'm going to buy a Mercedes with, you know, it, it, this yeah, is going right? to be awesome. This is going to set me up forever. I Okay, so it's uh, uh, directed by Lawrence Kasdan, right? Who wrote so, it. Yeah. So, somebody who knows how to do this shit, written by Kasdan and William Goldman, yeah, right. Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, William Goldman. It's got a cast of well, Thomas Jane, who cares? Jason Lee, who cares? Damian Lewis, not bad. Timothy Oliphant, Morgan Freeman, Tom Sizemore. It's got names. Jason it's got, Lee, you know, yeah, yeah. And and so there's and, and and it's an adaptation of a Stephen King novel. It's like a package deal. It's like agents put this together and said, this is going to be the shit. Oh, God. And it's what you end up with is an alien invasion story where with aliens that basically come out of your pooper and uh, like eat up humans. And yeah. uh, there's one guy who's trapped inside of his mind while his body is taken over by an alien. And oh, by the way, when they were kids, they knew a kid who was also an alien and they share psychic powers. And 
Morgan Freeman is a military asshole who wants to kill all of that. What? What's going on? What it's, the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's very It Part 2 meets Firestarter, On the Run, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to unpack on this thing. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. Try and take, like, the last ten years of, like, phase one through one, two, three of the Marvel movies, and then try and make a 90-minute film, right? It's yeah. like that much is going on that you're trying to just fucking cram into this thing, and you should not. Yeah. You should not. Just stop it. <laughs> I mean, ugh, yeah. I don't even, I've never even seen The Dark Tower, but I imagine this is probably worse than The Dark Tower adaptation. Yeah. I, I understand The Dark Tower fans were not happy yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Whatever. Exactly. I, um, I think they, 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 it was another one with Dark Tower where they just departed from the source material. Too far. Uh, yeah. 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 This one, it's like, yeah, they, they, I believe they stuck with it from what I understand. But again, some editing, you know? Seriously. It's got all of those hallmarks of a, a Stephen King novel of, you know, like the kids who knew each other who grow up and now they're all kids who know each other. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, we we could go on for days about all of the tropes that just reappear in every single one of his books. Yeah. But why bother? What 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 galls me is that one Dreamcatcher wasn't a financial failure. It, like it made more money right. than it it cost. Yeah. And it does not have anywhere near 100% Rotten Tomatoes. It, the critics all hated it, but people somehow like this film. Apparently it's got... it's another... It's 28% on Rotten Tomatoes, FYI. Yeah! How is it not zero? That's like saying, I've got, <laughs> a, like, I've, got a, I've, got, I've got a convention center full of people, and I am going to serve them shit on yeah. a... You know, human shit on a plate, and I'm going to serve it to all of them. I would expect 100% of them to, you know, to not have, like it. Have you yeah. not learned anything from the last several decades <laughs> that there is 25% yeah. of the yeah. world that is just the fucking worst? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's another one of those things that makes you go, what? How is this not a fact that this is awful? Things yeah. that make you go, hmm. Oh, oh. So, yeah. So, that's the trash. I remember in the well, 90s thinking, finally, everything is good. We can stop here. This is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. We we don't we don't do that. Uh, we ruin things. Yeah. Like yeah. like this podcast. I'm going to ruin it by saying it's it's been fun. It's been it's a Halloween episode. It's 2022. The world is scary enough, but you can make it a little scarier cuz it's Halloween. Yeah. Anyway, this is a podcast. If you, if you want, you should subscribe to it. You should subscribe to the podcast and you should rate it on iTunes. And if you, if, we if will you come in at one hour. You know, by hook or by crook. Yeah. The guy change. that edits this podcast is ending this shit right now. So here we go. If you want, <laughs> if you want to contact us, go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. Find links to our Twitter, maghuge, our Facebook, our Instagram. Uh, and email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. And yeah, happy Halloween, yeah. everybody. Not going to hurt you. Boo. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm gonna bash your brains in. Boop. Stand by me. <laughs>